Hello and welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sam Jones. Hiya, Sam. Tell us what you do in FE. Hiya. I'm an advanced practitioner at Bedford College. I work in the teacher ed department and I've got a particular focus on practitioner research. I founded and run some of the FE research meets that people may have seen on Twitter. Um, Also the special interest group for post-compulsory education and lifelong learning convener for BIRA, British Educational Research Association. And I also am a local convener for the Learning and Skills Research Network. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. And I hear you had your conference recently and it was a fabulous success. (laughs) Yes, it was pretty exhausting. But we had between 60 and 65 FE lecturers and other staff members from colleges come along. I think we had just over 15 pieces of research shared at our research meet. And they varied from small pieces of action research that people had done for CPD or just for their own development. We had master's work right through to PhD and and other doctoral work shared. It was a really nice day. We had tutors, we had careers advisors, we had lecturers, all the way up to vice principals and our principal attended for a period of time as well. It was a really, really nice, inclusive chatty fe type of day oh that's brilliant right should we crack on with this week's tes lovely yes i'm looking at the editorial by julia belgatai really interesting piece she talks about going to visit a college and the location of the campus and the way it was built has ended up as a shortcut for people in a nearby housing estate to get to the local supermarket and kind of the the benefits of making the environment more familiar to people who might not otherwise if it wasn't for that shortcut you know there's potential there for it to extend into people getting involved in education who might not have the opportunity to or or might not feel comfortable doing so yeah I have to say it's something that I recognize from our college we do have people that come through the campus to access the town center and I know we do things like after sort of five o'clock at night you can come and park here and like they have holiday parking and it's like, I don't know, a pound a day and that kind of thing. So I really recognise that and the benefit of having people coming to the college. So it's something that is part of the community. Yeah. And we talk about colleges being central to the community, but there is something more than the idea of them being central. Do you know what I mean? The actual place, the location, people coming into the college and making it less of a intimidating place. Because I don't know about you, every time I visit a college, they can be a bit scary, a bit intimidating, you know, a bit daunting when you first walk in. You know, having taught adult learners for you know quite a few years now, I think once they get familiar with the college, they tend to settle in and then they'll progress. Yeah. But I think there probably is something about perhaps particularly for adults the issue with it's a building that represents something that at that point in time is quite scary and as you say they're normally fairly big campuses and fairly big buildings and increasingly you've got sort of security and that kind of thing on the way in yeah so there could well be real benefits actually to to allow you know uh, hosting events maybe that bring the community into your college a little more so it is more of a oh yeah I recognize this I've been here before it's not such a scary place Yeah. Julia says in this piece, 
one way to break down some of the barriers particularly those that adult learners face is to offer education for free recently the education skills funding agency announced that it plans to offer fully funded study to learners on low wages the aim it said is to increase adult education participation and lift social mobility barriers so that sounds like some good news, doesn't it? Let's have a look at the next piece. Ooh, ever to see virtual base, isn't it? Um, <laughs> revealed the fat cat salaries paid by training providers. And this is by Julia yeah. Belkatite and George Ryan. It says, after decades of underinvestment in FE, the eye-watering pay packets of some college leaders have proved controversial. But until now, little was known about the salaries forked out by their independent counterparts. Quite gobsmacking, aren't they, these these salaries? They are absolutely huge. And I think the thing that really stood out for me here was the difference between their salaries and then the salaries of their staff. Yeah, yeah. And even the disparity between ITPs and FE colleges. Pay to the highest paid director, I'm looking at... BCTG Limited is one million fifteen one million and fifteen thousand six hundred and thirty three pounds. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Million quid a million quid when their average staff member is paid twenty six. It's been really sad. It's it's like blooming Marie Antoinette business, isn't it? I know leadership is important. But I just feel within the sector that teaching and learning, the core business, just seems to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, And I think this is really symptomatic of that. You know, you've got this huge disparity and all the money is with, with the directors. John Richards, head of education at Unison, says it is outrageous these executives are being paid such vast sums while apprenticeship numbers are dropping. Some of the cash in their pay packets even comes direct from taxpayers. He adds employers should boycott these training providers and look instead to further education colleges to run apprenticeship courses. But an AELP spokesman says that a comparison with college principals pay isn't really appropriate because a significant proportion of the large provider's income comes from commercial training for employers and these providers cover a whole range of business. It also has to be recognised that independent trading providers must earn their government funding, i.e. they only receive money on delivery, unlike grant-funded institutions. It's maybe not as straightforwardly outrageous as it first seems, but still, that director who's earning over a million quid is from the company that was graded as requires improvement by Ofsted. Yeah. So that's something Um, to think about, isn't it? How many people really are worth a million pounds a year, regardless of how much they do? It just seems a bit excessive. And, and what do you do with all that money as well? Do you I know? I'd love to find. I'd love to have the opportunity to find out. I mean, if you get to the point where you've got a big house, it needs a load of upkeep, and then you have to employ staff, and then it, be, you, you know, your whole life becomes a part-time business. I think this is is just symptomatic of of so much that bothers me in society at the moment. You've got somebody who's Staff get paid £26,000 on average. Yeah. um, And that is an average as well. And they're getting paid a million. And how do you, how does society say, yeah, okay, that that sounds reasonable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because 
Yeah, it just it doesn't sit well with me. It, I, I say I would like to see a bit more of the context. But again, it's just this thing that it's all you really need is leadership. You don't need people to do a job and then to do that job well. All you need to make an organisation successful is leadership. All the, it just seems to be this implied narrative that runs behind all of this. Yeah. And I suppose not being a leader myself, I just think that's patently not true. Yeah, Robert Halfen, Chair of Commons Education Select Committee, who, of course, was the Minister of Referee and Skills, mm. um, says when public monies are involved, it is absolutely vital that executive pay is linked to performance to ensure that the taxpayer is getting bang for their buck. Um, I have concerns about the quality of training provided by some subcontractors and the public will want to be reassured that these training providers are delivering courses that are up to scratch. He raises some really important points about the taxpayer, etc. However, he skirts the issue of parity there yeah. for me. It's still He's not saying, wow, you know, really should somebody be paid a million pounds a year while somebody else in the same organisation is paid proportionally so much less? Yeah. It's an important point that he raises, but I think it's a politician's soundbite yeah. rather than, yeah. you know, it's kind of missing what's at the heart of this for me. Yeah. Right, let's crack on to the next one before we get ourselves in any more trouble. Right, okie dokie. And this one is by Frank McLaughlin. The headline is, Reputation is key to our sector's rosy future. Establishing a core purpose and forging relationships with prestigious employers will go a long way to enhancing FE's standing, argues Frank McLaughlin. What he's saying in this piece is we're at a really opportune time because the nation's employers and government's goals are aligned with that of the sector for the first time in decades. So crack on, push through, make everybody know why FE is brilliant and why they should get involved with us. You can't really disagree with that, can you? No. He's on about four key strategies for building reputation. Think about what reputation is. And he thinks as a sector, we should be primarily known for technical education. Number two, the critically important key is alignment. When you are aligned with people who want you to deliver your purpose, you have an even better opportunity to succeed. Then he says, number three, association is my third strategic key. Whenever I visit colleges, principals will highlight the success of their collaborative work with prestigious employers. And the fourth one is we need to be observant and to listen around student and staff satisfaction and he's saying this helps ward off crises before they strike what do you reckon i think staff satisfaction and student satisfaction actually you're right they're they're both really important um so i would i would happen to agree with that i think it links back to the previous article on the pay but i think more than anything for me it's a I suppose staff satisfaction is about that feeling of having a voice and being listened to. I'd like to see more of that, to be honest. He talks about listening and responding and allowing these staff and students to develop the culture of the organisation. Yeah. I think sometimes FE misses those opportunities, sometimes misses some of the great people that they have working within the sector. I'd like to see much more of a student voice, much more of a staff voice as well. I think it's quite brave to say we should be primarily known for technical education because the whole thing about what FE is and does seems to be an argument that rumbles on and on and on academically and and also in policy exactly what we're supposed to do seems to be really diverse I think it's very brave to to pin 
his sort of colours to a mask. And I think that's yeah. great. I've still got the same issue here than with the previous story. I can't see anything about teaching and learning in here. Yeah. We're talking about the importance, again, of leadership. So we're saying that it's important that our leaders go to a world-leading business school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's facilitated by the ETF. In that case, our staff should be training through Cambridge because that's world-leading for education. Do you know that never crossed my mind? And that's a really brilliant point. It is all about leadership, in it, and not about the quality of the, the core business, which is education, teaching and learning. Technical education is is really complex for me. From my perspective, it, you know, it seems to be an under-researched area. So I, I've been looking quite a lot recently and trying to find pedagogical approaches to teaching vocational and, and technical education. The work around this area is really slim, actually. So how to become really good at it is a bit of an unknown quantity if we don't really understand it well. Yeah. I think there are also issues that particularly the technical education, so if you look at the areas that are focused on by Lord Sainsbury's report and the T-levels are focusing on, they're quite often the areas that people just assume, oh, it's really easy to teach that because it's just it's just bricklaying, it's just hairdressing. We, we don't do enough, I don't think, personally, to make sure our staff stay up to date in those areas. We don't look at how best to teach those areas. I think they're massively neglected. So for me, what this article is missing is what you're going to need to do to satisfy employers and to satisfy the government because leadership is a part of it but I would argue that teaching and learning is the bigger part because if we're going to have a really strong reputation it has to be based on the quality of what we do I mean I'm sick of reading reports that say world-class skills world-class skills world-class skills and then don't look at who's delivering it so I'm not saying that from a point of view of the people who deliver it aren't good enough because I think we've got some excellent teachers, lots of excellent teachers in the sector, but we don't give them an opportunity to develop their skills and to stay up to date and become world class. And if we don't do that, how can we expect what comes out the other end to be world class? Yeah. So I think shining a light on technical education is great. But I think how can teaching and learning not be one of the four most important things? Yeah. That was screaming at me from this. Frank McLaughlin is Associate Director for Leadership at Education and Training Foundation. Let's move on to the last one, which is me going on about <laughs> <laughs> some training. It was an end of end of year type of thing. Everybody's knackered, everybody's ready for home, but you have to go and sit through a load of stuff. Nobody was 100% there. It was with the head of of the department and he'd been milling around before and just chatting with people in the canteen saying are you all right how are you doing nice to see you that kind of thing then we sat down and he had a face like thunder there's about 200 people sat in front of him and he said he'd done a little survey he talked to people in the canteen and out of the 10 people he asked how they were eight people had moaned i'm exhausted oh nearly holidays one more day all of this sort of thing and it went bonkers about not having a positive attitude and how could we pass the positivity on to the young people if that was the attitude that we were showing and I was thinking yeah hang on and this is this is somebody who he he is brilliant at behavior he changed the way the college operated around behavior you know so him being a bit crackers was not normal you know he was (laughs) he was having a right go about 
not modelling positive behaviour while not modelling positive behaviour himself. I was having real trouble not to have my delighted face on. <laughs> just because it was like a show. You know, it was like a show happening and I wanted to have do a little round of applause and, you know, and he was, he was saying, why aren't people participating in this? And I was thinking, no, keep your hand down, keep your hand down. It, it, it was a rhetorical question. I had to put my hand up and say, because you haven't handled as well, because you've come in yeah. shouting at us, because we feel like we didn't participate. And I was really having to hold back, but at the same time, thrilled with the whole spectacle of it. It sounds a lot like my parenting style, to be honest with you. Um, I don't want to criticise the guy because I, I recognise myself in it. I do wonder whether it's a bit of an overreaction because stop things about how are you. At the end of term, everybody's answer is, I'm tired. I'm really looking forward to going on holiday. I, I don't see that as as not positive. No, I know. And that was the thing. I felt like he played a yeah. trick on us. Because I, I knew my head I was coasting that day. I was there because I had to be. If that was a lesson observation and you were being observed and your students weren't feeling it for one reason or another that day, the, it was all very well saying, why aren't you participating? If you said that in a classroom, they would be like, well, that's the, the answer would be it's your fault. You haven't designed it well. You're yeah. not trying to engage the students. You haven't you know, behaviour managed well and all those other things. I do think there's a real double standard sometimes, particularly with professional development, in terms of what we would expect to provide for our students and then what's provided for us when we do professional development. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And that the thing with this session was that this bloke, as I say, was usually absolutely brilliant. I'd never before sat through one of his sessions where I hadn't come out knowing more, feeling more confident, feeling enthused. And I just thought, oh... Clearly something's going on with him. <laughs> something's this happening in his life, you know, because this isn't what he's normally like. But at the same time, it was absolutely brilliant and I was thrilled with it. <laughs> but it's nice to see that everybody has a bad day. Yeah, yeah. Even people who only have to get up and do it occasionally stuff it up. Yeah. But perhaps there is a, a learning point there that sometimes when we go and observe stuff, staff can have just a bad day or the students yeah. can just be having a bad day for one reason or another and that does affect things. But yeah. yeah, I can I can really see that at the end of the year, a bit of car crash TV is really good. And I think the the point you make about when negative things are going around, trying to keep your mouth shut and not getting dragged in, is probably a really yeah. salient point. But you know, I'm terrible as well. If there's, you know, for example, if there's a big row in the staff room, this happened once that there was a big row in the staff room with two people having a proper no holes barred <laughs> shout at each other, and I had to properly have a word with my face because I was felt this massive grin coming over my face because I was just enjoying the drama of it so much because it was nothing to do with me but it was just oh, there's two people shouting at each other this is brilliant this is like real housewives and it's happening in front of me so I'm probably not the best person to have around in that situation because I, I just make it worse your colleagues do. I'm just like, your colleagues must think oh she's so supportive <laughs> she's laughing at her clapping but, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? it's been brilliant chatting? Thanks so much. It's been really lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been the TESFE podcast with Sam Jones and me, Sarah Simons. We'll be back next week with more FE news and views. Thanks for listening. <laughs>